Father, as we come to this text in uh, chapter 6, we just ask that, uh, Lord, you help us to identify those people who are under the altar by your throne crying out for vengeance, Lord. And, uh, Lord, as we look at this text, help us to examine our own lives and make sure that we don't end up being those people, Lord, that, that uh, we're the people who are raptured out of here when the when uh, you blow that trumpet just before the great tribulation begins, Lord, we want to be sure that we're there. We want to be sure that we're serious about our relationship with you, Lord, that, and if we're born again, we are. And so, Lord, I, I, just, I just think these texts like this are certainly a time for self-examination, so help us to do that, Lord. And, and more than anything else, Lord, as we go through this passage, help us to, to, to just be grateful for... Uh, all that you've done for us, Lord, that, that we lit, walk by grace, we were saved by grace, and we're going to be saved by grace, Lord. And, and, and we know that when this terrible time that we're looking at uh, here in these next few chapters of Revelation, when this time arrives, Lord, uh, you're going to take us out of here. And we just we thank you for the, the great hope that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his precious name that I pray, amen. All right, well, it's been a while since we've been in the book of Revelation, and I know y'all are anxious to get back, especially as we're heading right into the Great Tribulation, and so uh, we're going to get right back uh, into our study today, and we got to pick up where we left off last time. Remember, the Lamb of God had been given the scroll, and what was the scroll? The scroll represented the, the details of what's going to take place during the very last days, during the, during the Great Tribulation, during the Day of the Lord. And uh, the scroll was given to the lamb, and uh, he began to open the scroll. And it, first of all, he opened the first four seals. And the four, first four seals were the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, the first horse was a uh, white horse, which you, know, you have this man riding out uh, on a white horse. He seems like a hero. He seems like a man of peace. But we know that that man is the Antichrist. And so the first horse is the, represents the Antichrist, and the Antichrist is going to lead this war, this world into war. And so the second horse is a red horse, which represents blood, and it represents war. And following the red horse is the black horse, because after this war and after all this bloodshed, there's going to be this great famine on the earth, and, and people are going to die. And so the fourth horse is the pale horse, this pale green, light green horse that looked like a corpse, and he represents nothing, none other than death itself. And so you have these first four seals open, and the great tribulation begins. Now, here's what I want you to see. And I talked about this in the introduction to Revelation, and I talked about it to the in, in, when we introduced these seals and these trumpets and these uh, bowls of wrath. I told you that these events are going to overlap. And it's going to be really difficult to put all of this into a chronological sequence. And, and people get themselves in a lot of trouble when they try to do so. Because you think about it, look at the first horse. You have the white horse, the Antichrist. How long is the Antichrist going to be on the scene? He's not just coming on the scene and then he's going off the scene. That horse is going to be riding throughout this earth, conquering to conquer throughout the seven years of the Great Tribulation. And so all of these events overlap and uh, uh, so uh, figuring out the exact timing of all of this is difficult now a lot of people believe that 
that most of the terrible events that take place on this earth begin in the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. And I, and I'm, I kind of believe that too because most of this, this, these terrible things that break out break out once the Antichrist commits the abomination of desolation and that comes in the exact middle of the Great Tribulation. Now, during the Great Tribulation, anyone, as, as these four horsemen are riding throughout the earth and all these terrible events are taking place, anyone who stands for the word of God, anyone who stands for Jesus Christ will lose their lives. They will be martyred. Well, wait a minute. I mean, didn't you tell us, Pastor, that the church, we're going to all be out of here, that the church is going to be raptured? It is going to be raptured. But once it's raptured, let me tell you what, when the church is raptured, you're going to be really surprised how few people are taken to be with the Lord. You might even be surprised and find yourself here. I might be surprised and find myself here. If I am, I've really messed up somewhere along the way. And I've been messing you up somewhere along the way. But I believe we'll be out of here, but there will be a lot of people who call themselves Christians who will still be on this earth. And they're going to be left behind. And most of them have heard about the rapture and they're going to know that they've been left behind. And they're going to know that they have really messed up. And they're going to have a choice at that point. They can turn themselves totally over to evil and totally over to the rule of the Antichrist or they can take a stand finally for Jesus Christ in their lives. They can finally put away the things of this world and get serious about their relationship with the, with the Lord and they will call upon the Lord and they will be saved. And having been saved through fire, like they're going to be saved, they're going to be pretty strong people. But that salvation is going to cost them because the Antichrist is going to come along and he's going to demand that everybody on this earth Take the mark of the beast. And if you once you take the mark of the beast, your fate is set. You're going to hell. That, you're going to die. You're going to die through the terrible uh, events that take place during the Great Tribulation. And, and there's no turning back at that point once you've taken the mark of the beast. And there, the, the, the Antichrist is going to demand that you take the mark of the beast. He's going to demand that you worship his image. And these tribulation saints are going to refuse to take the mark of the beast and they're going to refuse to worship his image and they're going to be hunted down and they are going to be killed. Now that brings us to the fifth seal and that's where we want to pick up today. What, I, what you'll see in your Bibles and what I call the voice of the martyrs. These martyrs who are crying out for justice. Look with me at uh, chapter number 6 beginning down in verse number 9. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true? In other words, they, they recognize that, the, that the, the truth of this word and that a God is going to avenge the death of, the, of his saints. And so how long... O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on this earth. Now, here's the first thing that I want you to notice about these martyrs who are under the altar. The first thing is 
Are their souls asleep? Let me ask you that question. Are their souls asleep? No, they're not asleep. Are they having a bad dream or something? And they're talking in their sleep? No, they're not, they're not asleep. They're conscious and they're awake. They're, they're speaking. They're emotional. You know they're emotional. Their emotions are intact because they're emotionally upset. They're mentally sharp because they know the word of God and they know what's right and they know that God is a God of justice and a God of vengeance. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, the Lord says. And, and, or vengeance belongs to me, the Lord says. And so they, they're, they, and they're worshiping God and they're calling out for justice. So their souls are not asleep. Now there's a lot of people who believe and teach that when we die, our souls go to sleep. I got to tell you, I don't know what Bible you're reading. Because whenever I read about a saint who's died, whenever we talk about someone who's died and gone on into the afterlife, when, they, when we hear of them again, their souls are not asleep. Let me ask you, you remember, do you remember Samuel and how he came up out of Hades to rebuke Saul? His soul wasn't asleep, was it? I mean, do you remember Elijah and Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration? They were having this conversation with Jesus about the cross and about his departure. Their souls obviously weren't asleep. What about Lazarus? And we get this, we get, Jesus gave us, it, it's not a parable. People call this a parable. Whenever Jesus spoke a parable, he said, this parable I give to you. You know it's a parable. But he tells the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And you remember when he told that story, Lazarus has died and he's gone into Hades, the good part, into paradise. Let me ask you a question. Is his soul asleep? No. He's laying in the bosom of Abraham and Abraham's soul is not asleep. And so uh, when you see the rich man who died when, along with Lazarus, the rich man is calling across this gulf to Abraham his soul isn't asleep, and he's asking Abraham to let his brothers know how bad this place is where God has placed him after he's died. And so he's wide awake, and Abraham answers him, so Abraham's wide awake. And here are these martyrs, and they're killed for their faith, and they're conscious and awake, and they're under the altar. Now, why are they under the altar? Well, the reason they're under the altar is because they've been sacrificed on the altar. They've given their life for the Lord. And so uh, as this fifth seal is open, you hear the voice of these martyrs crying out, looking back at the passage, for God to take vengeance on those who persecuted them. And they have a right to do that. Moses, when he was prophesying of the end times, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32, when he prophesied of the last days, listen to what he said. He says, Rejoice, O my people, for the Lord will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. There's a day coming when all the wicked on this earth are going to be judged and God is going to take out his vengeance on them. And that is the day that we're looking at right now. That's the day of the great tribulation. And so they're begging the Lord. They want to know. They're actually questioning the Lord's I think to some sense they say you're just and you're true, but Lord, you're not acting like it. Do something. I mean, these people are vicious. They've killed us. They've chopped off our heads. They've hung us, whatever has happened to them. Lord, do something about it. They're in heaven where there's perfect peace and perfect joy, and they want vengeance. And the Lord doesn't answer them. 
He doesn't give them the, an answer. Instead, he gives them a great and wonderful gift. Look what he does in verse number 11. It says, Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them, Rest. Hey, settle down. Don't worry so much about vengeance and rest. You know, I think that's a message to all of us, too. There are so many times when we're fretting over things of this world when all God wants us do to do is rest. Settle down. Trust me. Things are going to work out. And, and, and they're given this white robe until both the number of their fellow servants and brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Now, some people say that these martyrs that are under the altar represent uh, the martyrs of the first century, and some would say they represent the martyrs of the, the Reformation. None of that, none of that is, is, is true because these seals are being opened, and what are these seals? These seals are being opened off of the scroll, and the scroll represents the, the, the last days of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And so these are the saints who are killed during the great tribulation. And they're, giving this, they're given this white robe. Now, we've talked about this before, but the adjective white right there is the Greek word lucas. And not only uh, does it mean white, it means to shine or to glitter. And so what they have here are these glittering, shining white robes shining with the righteousness and glory of God. Does that sound familiar? Those are the exact robes that were being worn by the 12 elders who represented the raptured church. And so they're given the same robes that the church was given when the church was raptured. Now somebody might say that's not fair. But if you say that's not fair, you don't understand the mercy of God. Now, the, the tribulations would say that's not fair that they have them because we gave our lives, and these guys were just, hey, they were living their lives and enjoying life, and they were raptured out of here. I mean, both sides could say it's not fair, but with God it's fair because all of our righteousness and all of our glory is a gift from God, and we all get the same righteousness. How much righteousness do we get? Perfect righteousness. When you receive Jesus Christ into your heart, you are given perfect righteousness. He made him the new no, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might have the righteousness of God in him. We're given perfect righteousness. And we've been given the Spirit of God. And if you could see the Spirit of God in you right now, it would be a shining light. And one day when we're full of, full of the Holy Spirit and we're given those glorified bodies, we're going to shine. And it's going to be unbelievable how we're going to shine. We're going to shine in the, in the glory and righteousness of God. Now, and so they're told to rest. They're told to rest for how long? Until the number of the martyrs will be complete. Now, we see, remember I told you, God, if God wanted to, and he wanted to punish the wicked. And he wanted to end this thing and bring Jesus back on his throne. He could do it this very minute. I mean, he could do it. All he had to do is say, it's done, and it would be done. But he doesn't choose to do that. He, there, he has three purposes in this great tribulation, and we've talked about this. One of the purposes is to punish the wicked. He's going to punish them, and he's going to punish them hard. But he could just wipe them out. I mean, he's punished the wicked uh, for the last 
uh, 6,000 years. So he doesn't have to have the great tribulation to punish the wicked. Well, the other reason that he, he orchestrates the great tribulation and brings this world into the great tribulation is to prepare Israel to receive their Messiah, to prepare them to receive the Lord. But one of his, his third reason for the great tribulation is to get as many people saved as he possibly can. Listen, there's a lot of trials on this earth that should cause us all to fall on our face and get right with the Lord and get serious about the Lord, but sometimes it doesn't. But I promise you this, those of you that will be here for the great tribulation, it's going to really be convicting as far as the necessity of wanting to get with the Lord. I mean, you're going to want to get right with the Lord when the great tribulation comes. It's going to be tough on this earth. You think things are tough now. You can't imagine how tough they're going to be then. And there are going to be a lot of people saved here at that time, a lot of people who know the gospel but never truly have given their lives to Jesus Christ. They never truly have been born again. They're going to get born during that time, and God knows the exact number of those people. So he's telling these saints here that, that hey, my purpose is to get more people saved among my other purposes and I know the exact number until they're all saved, you got to wait. That's the same thing, the reason we're waiting on the rapture. We're waiting on the rapture so God can get more people saved so they don't have to go through the great tribulation or maybe another generation saved. I don't know how long it's going to be until the rapture. My hunch is we're, we're approaching that date very rapidly. It could be another 100 years, another 200 years. I mean, God is not in any hurry because he wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. And so that's one of his purposes. Now, uh, we come to the sixth seal. And when he opens the sixth seal, you're going to see cosmic disturbances. We're not going to see them. We might see them from heaven. But whoever's here, when that sixth seal is open, they're going to see cosmic disturbances unlike any that have ever taken place before. Look at... Look at verse number 12 of chapter number 6. I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth and the fig, as a fig tree drops in late, its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and every island was moved out of its place. Now, remember again, and I talked about this a little bit earlier today, but remember back when I introduced the Great Tribulation. I said that these events here are not historical. And people try to make these things historical. Well, during the Iraq War, the sun was darkened and the moon turned to blood. That was not what is being spoken of right here. These are not historical events. They are futuristic events that will take place in some sort of sequence. Now that sequence is very difficult to figure out because the seventh seal is the seven trumpets and the seventh trumpet is the seven bowls of wrath. And so all of these events overlap. And as I mentioned earlier, you take those first five seals and they're taking place throughout the Great Tribulation. There, there are uh, tribulation saints who are being saved. 
The Antichrist is roaming the earth. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's earthquakes. There's famine. There's all sorts of things. And then at some point, you see these cosmic disturbances take place and, 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 and look how terrible they are. So listen to me. Beware of anybody who thinks they figured this out and they can put these things in exact chronological order. I've, I've heard a lot of interpreters that will say that this sixth seal comes before uh, the seven trumpets and before the bowls of wrath. A lot of people date this sixth seal to the beginning of the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation at the date of the abomination of desolation. That is not true. That is not true. I can show you that the events described here in the sixth seal come at the very end of the Great Tribulation. They come when Jesus Christ, on the same, they come simultaneously with the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. Let me show you. Go with me. Go back with me to Matthew 24 and go to the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24. Just a few back to the first of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 24. Pick up, we'll be down in verse number 29. And, and listen to how Jesus dates these events. Listen to what he said. Immediately after the tribulation. Everybody get that? When? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. See, this happens simultaneously with the return of Jesus Christ because look at verse number 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Then the elect remnant of Israel will be gathered from the four winds, from the, all the four parts of the world. They'll be gathered back into the land. You tie this back to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Then I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel, and they will look on the one whom they've pierced, and they will mourn as a mother mourns for the loss of her only child. And so then we do what? We go into the millennium. So where does this happen? Where do these events happen? They happen at the very end of the Great Tribulation, but they're described throughout the Bible. And a lot of people will see something happen in the news and they say, oh, look, we're looking, we're, we're, one of the trumpets has been blown. No, that's not true. Let me tell you what, we've never seen anything like this. Let me tell you, nothing has ever happened like what's going to happen during the Great Tribulation. And nothing, as bad as the Great Tribulation is, I mean, this happens after the Great Tribulation. We're going to see just how bad and crazy things get in the Great Tribulation. And then when all of that's over, the, the earth shall be real, to, or the earth shall be, uh, there'll be a great earthquake on the earth. The sun will become black as sackcloth and hair, and the moon will become like blood. The stars of heaven will fall to the earth as a fig tree drops its figs and is shaken by a mighty wind. I mean, and then the sky will be, will, the sky will be receded as a scroll and rolled up and every mountain and island will be moved from its place. 
Now, that's some pretty horrific events. Isaiah described, described those events this way in Isaiah chapter 24, verse 20. He says, the earth, shall be, the earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard. He says, the moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed. In other words, they won't be seen. Joel 2, chapter 1 I mean, Joel chapter 2, verse 1, uh, he, Joel says, the earth, the earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, the stars diminish their brightness. Then in verse 30 he says, I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the Lord. So all of this happens right before the coming of the Lord of the Lord so that means that all the events of the seven trumpets and all the events of the seven bowls of wrath precede the sixth seal does that make sense and you see why this is so difficult to try to put in some kind of kind of chronological sequence don't worry about that first of all you got to understand that all these events are going to happen in the future and they're going to all happen after I've been removed from this earth, and hopefully you too. I can speak for myself, and hopefully you're going to be there too. If you're not going to be there, well, you get to get saved during the great tribulation, and you'll get to have your head chopped off, and, man, you'll be a hero. Let the heroes have that. I don't want anything to do with that. And what's going to be the reaction of mankind to these events that take place just before the Lord's return. Well, you know what you would think? You would think that when you see the sun darken and the moon darken and the, this great earthquake and the sky, stars are falling from the sky and all of these terrible things are happening, you know what you'd think? You'd think you'd get down on your face and finally, even after all the Antichrist has done and all of these terrible events, you'd say, Lord, Uncle, Lord, I've had enough. I give my life to Jesus Christ. You think that's what's going to happen? No. Look at the next few verses here. Go back to Revelation chapter uh, 6. And, and let's read uh, verses 15 through 17. He says, And the kings of the earth, the great man, the rich man, the commanders, the mighty man, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide from us or hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. This is gentle Jesus, the line of Judah, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin, but now he's angry. For the day, great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Now, at this point in the Great Tribulation, everybody who's going to get saved has been saved. All the saints are accounted for in heaven. And those who are left on this earth know at this point that what's happening to them is the very wrath of God. And at this point, I'll show you later, not today, but at this point you'll see in the book of Revelation, every single person on this earth at this point has heard the gospel. But they would rather die than turn to the Lord. They would rather die than become born-again believers. 
And look at the range of people. Look back at this text. There's people of all walks. There's rich, there's poor, there's great men, there's common men, there's slave, and there are free men. There will be free men on this earth. There will be democracies on this earth when the Lord comes. They will have a choice. Do you realize, and I have no doubt about this, do you realize that the Antichrist will be elected to rule this world? The democracies of this world will get together and they will elect him. Satan incarnate. They will elect him to rule this world. They would rather have him rule this world than Jesus Christ rule this world. They would rather have him rule this world than have anything to do with God. You know, I used to think democracy was a great thing. But I am convinced after studying history over the years and looking at what's happened to the United States of America and what's happened to the democracies in Europe that a godless democracy is the worst form of government on earth. It is the worst form of government on earth. And the reason it is is because it has no moral boundaries. People want to live decadently, decadently, and they vote for decadence. They vote for immorality. They vote to push God out of their lives. They vote to push God out of their society. And that means that that kind of government, and, and the society of that kind of government is self-destructive. It will destroy itself. And we see that happening in the United States of America today. This society is destroying itself. You look at what's happening in California, for example. They have legalized smoking what used to be an illegal drug. And people are lining up to get it. Do you think that is building up that society? That is destroying that society. And what does CNN do? They go over to California, and that's where they celebrate New Year's with a big pot party. That is a, the, the most popular, with some people, uh, news network in this nation. It's, it's the only one they'll let you get unless you pay extra to get one that you can hear the truth on. And I'm sick of them. And I'm sick of what's happening to our society. We're destroying ourselves. And I tell you this, I believe God judges democracies harder than he judges any other form of government because we vote in that debauchery. We vote in that godlessness. We vote in that atheism. We vote in that polytheism, whatever it is. We vote out Christ. And God, at some point, is going to judge that. You know, in the Great Tribulation, the world chooses the most godless man ever, Satan incarnate, to rule over them instead of Jesus Christ. And at this point, you look at this passage here, they see God as their enemy, and the Antichrist is their friend. And they would die rather than to have their enemy rule over them and they cry out fall on us 
to the mountains and rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. We don't want anything to do with him. So let me tell you what, God is just in judging this world. Not just because of the tribulation things, not just because of the persecution throughout the centuries that have been uh, uh, initiated against the church of God, not because of all the blasphemies and all the hate of God, but, but uh, uh, God is just because this world wants nothing to do with God. This girl world rejects God. And so this judgment that we see on this earth during the Great Tribulation is more terrible than anything we can possibly imagine. It's more terrible than anything we can possibly imagine. Jesus described these, these seven seals which are opened by saying this. He says in Matthew 24, verse 21, he says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. In other words, those who are left on this earth during the Great Tribulation will experience the wrath of God in more horrible ways than this world has ever seen. Worse than 9-11. A thousand, thousand times worse than 9-11. A thousand, thousand times worse than Katrina. Than Harvey. Thousands of times worse than World War II. And those bombs dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they were nothing compared to what's going to happen on this earth in the Great Tribulation. Things will be worse than even the time when God poured out his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah. They will, things will be worse than that and that's one of the reasons the good news here the one of the reasons why I'm sure that the church of God will be raptured out of here before the great tribulation begins I'm sure of it I'm sure of it I mean if God would rapture the righteous out of Sodom and Gomorrah he certainly would rapture the righteous out of this world before the great tribulation begins. You remember the story. Before God poured out his wrath upon Sodom and Gomorrah, he went to Abraham and he told him that he was about to destroy those two wicked cities. And Abraham asked him a very poignant question. He said, will not the Lord of the earth be just? Isn't God fair? Lord, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And remember the Lord answered to me. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, I will not destroy those cities. What about, Abraham said, Lord, what about if you found 45? The Lord said, no, Abraham, I wouldn't destroy it if I found 45. Lord, what about 40? Would you destroy it if you found 40? The Lord said, Abraham, no, I wouldn't destroy it. What about 30, Lord? No, I won't destroy it if I can find 30, Abraham. Oh, what about 20? The Lord said, I will not destroy it if there are 20, 
righteous men and women in that city. What about ten, Lord? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if there are ten. Abraham could have gone all the way down to one. God would only destroy that city if everybody in that city was wicked. And we know the word of the Lord was true because he took that good old guy Lot, that wonderful Christian Lot, the Billy Graham of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he took him and his wife and two daughters and he raptured them out of those cities. His wife didn't last long because she looked back. She loved it too much and she looked back and she was turned to a pillar of salt. Why did God deliver Lot and his two daughters? Because Lot had lived such a righteous life? No. No. But he was made righteous by his faith in God. And God will always deliver, always deliver the righteous from his wrath. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But let me tell you this. You're only righteous if you have true faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. There is none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and in the psalm. There's none, no, not one. God is not impressed with anybody's righteousness, self-righteousness. All our righteousness is as what in the Lord's eyes? As filthy rags. And we are only made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. But if we are righteous, Peter used this very example of Lot, and this is what he said in chapter 2 of 2 Peter. He says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of tribulation and to reserve the unjust, those who are not righteous, for punishment for the day of judgment. They're going to be punished, but you're not going to be punished. You're not going to face the wrath of God if you're righteous in Jesus Christ. And friends, the day of judgment is coming soon, very, very soon. But before it comes, God is going to remove his own from this earth. He's going to remove the righteous from this earth. Well, wait a minute. What, what about the great tribulation saints? They're going to be left here, and they're going to face the wrath of God at least for a while. Why? I mean, why are they going to do that? Let me tell you why. Because they aren't righteous. Friends, there are people who live a more righteous life than I do who are lost as a goose. There are a lot of people in this world who are living their lives and putting their hope in their self-righteousness and in their religion, and that will not make you righteous. There's only one thing that makes you righteous, and that is the blood of Christ. So why are the tribulation saints left here? They're not saints yet, but they're going to be saints. Why are these tribulation religious people left here? So they could get saved. So they can be made righteous. 
And when they see the terrible things that take place on this earth, when they see the true church raptured out of here, and when they see God pouring his wrath out on, on this earth, again, they're going to have a choice. They can turn to the Lord or they can follow the Antichrist. That's going to be the choice. It's going to be black and white. It's getting that way right now. You either turn to evil or you turn to good. That's the way this world's going right now, and it's only going to get worse. The good is going to get harder and harder to find and the evil is going to rule and, and have dominion over all this earth. And once these tribulation saints get right with the Lord, they're no longer at enmity with God. They're God's friend. They were the Antichrist friend before they got saved. Let me tell you what, if you're here in this room today and you're not truly saved, you're a friend of the Antichrist. You're not a friend of God. You're at enmity with God. You are an enemy of God. Every person in this room who's born again, at one time we were enemies of God. And God, by his grace, has made us his friend. He has given us his righteousness through the blood of Jesus Christ. I have no doubt in my mind that in this room, in this room, in these, within these four walls, there are pretenders in here. You want me to tell you who they are? Besides Roy? No, I'm teasing. Roy's not a pretender. I don't know who they are. The odds just tell me that some of you are pretenders. You're not truly born again. So you're not righteous. And you're at MDD with God. And if the tribulation begins today, you're not going to be raptured. And that's why well, I hope it doesn't begin today for, for your sake if you're here and you, don't tr you aren't truly born again. And hopefully, if the rapture does take place today and you're left here, you'll get serious about your faith in Jesus Christ. And you'll get saved. Then after your head's chopped off or you're hung or you're tortured a while, you'll get to come up with us. And visit us, and you'll be under the altar crying out, Lord, why didn't you let this happen? Do something about it. Get these people back. You'll be under the altar crying, and we'll say, man, I, I'm, man, I don't blame you. <laughs> that was rough what you went through. And you won't be any lesser of a saint than I am. You'll wear the same beautiful white robes of glory and righteousness that I'll be wearing. And everybody else who's saved will be wearing. But why put yourself through that? Look, God sends us troubles in this world today. And Jesus said, in this world, you have many tribulations. Why does he allow those tribulations? To get us saved. To, he, whatever you're going through in life, look, if God is really pushing on you, it's probably to get you saved. To get you serious about your faith in Jesus Christ. To make sure that you're born again. It is a gift. All you have to do is turn from this world and turn to the Lord and say, Lord, 
I receive you into my heart. I want that gift of salvation. I want those robes of righteousness. I want your Holy Spirit. And God will save you. And not only will you miss the great tribulation, you'll have a lot of fun waiting for it, the rapture. And you'll have some more tribulation too. But a lot of fun. Isn't it fun to know the Lord? Isn't it fun to have peace and joy in your life, to have a purpose, to, to, to have a hope? That's what makes life good. I lived 40 years without him, and I've lived 10 since then, a little more than that. What are y'all laughing at? 15, all right? 15 years since I was 40. Maybe 28. And that's it. That's as far as that's the truth. And I got to tell you, those 28 years, I don't, there's not a day goes by, I don't thank the Lord for my salvation. I don't thank the Lord for his blood. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pray, and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Father, we just do thank you for what you've done for us. I, Lord, I, I, I'm hoping everybody in here knows you as their, truly as their Savior. But if they don't, they know it. Everybody who's born again knows it. Everybody who's not knows it. Lord, so I just ask that, that if, if there's any doubt in anyone's mind that today, you make today truly be their day of salvation. Lord, you just touch them in a mighty and powerful way. Lord, I, life is so good with you. We're so grateful to know you. We're so grateful that your son died for us. We're so grateful that we have hope, Lord. That we have hope in the fact that there's no condemnation for us and that, Lord, very soon that trumpet's going to sound and we're going to go to glory to be with you. We thank you for that hope. We thank you for our Savior. It's in his precious name that I pray.